This is a Culture Inject production. The Nevers Podcast presents In Conversation With Hello, I'm Chirag, and in this episode of In Conversations With, I'm chatting with actor Zayn Hussain. Zayn Hussain is 21 years old, born and raised in London, England, and is currently studying law. When he's not studying, you can catch him acting in shows like HBO's The Nevers and Traveling the Globe. Welcome to the show, Zayn, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Trag. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, you play Anil, who is Harriet's fiance, played by Kieran Sonia. Uh, is this, uh, so is this your first acting role? Yeah, this is my first kind of big professional piece of work and um it's been exciting everything that's come with it i'm quite grateful for it yeah congratulations man you really yeah you really dove in the deep end this thing is huge yeah i think it's it's only um every single day i i I start to realize oh this is huge this is huge oh no this is very big (laughs) every single day every single episode it comes out it just seems bigger and bigger yeah, so I know that you're, you're studying law and your character in the show, as well as his fiance, are also studying law. So <laughs> I was just wondering, is there, is there a correlation there for you? Like, did you pursue this role no, as an extension of your interest in law? It was actually, it was actually quite a crazy coincidence. I didn't know Anil was, um, a law student until there was, there was one scene in episode two, I think, um, when Amalia and Penance are basically talking, they're talking about the different turns of all the touched while the orphans are running around. And then um, the director, you know, there's there's a scene where I'm sort of, I've got books and I'm teaching Harriet. And then the director says, oh, just, you know, pretend you're a law student. And, and then uh, Kieran says to the director, like, oh, he is a law student. And they said, yeah, yeah, you are. And I was like, no, he actually is. He's literally just come from law school yesterday. And so that's when um, we sort of realized, oh, coincidentally, I happened to study law outside of, of the Nevers as well. And Anil himself was a law student as well. Wow, that's that's a crazy coincidence. That's a matching up of kind of worlds c- colliding. Is acting something you're going to continue to pursue or is your focus more on getting your law degree? Or what's the balance there? It is definitely something I'm focusing on pursuing. Of course, this is an incredible opportunity and I'm sure there'll be more coming with it. It's one of those things where um, it's it's kind of a, a difficult battle between two things I really enjoy and I'm interested by. It's the you know, the entire intellectual and academic side of studying and law and the career beyond that and then acting itself. And it's really weird because um, the sort of reasons I kind of wanted to be a law student and go on to be a lawyer is what well, was to do with law itself, but then the theatrical aspect of being a lawyer as well, being on stage, being on court. And those things sort of coincide with acting. And so it's those two thrilling aspects that sort of come together. And so honestly, I'm, I'm looking to find a balance and I hope I do. It'll be difficult, but that's the plan. Yeah, I never really thought of that. It it is kind of a performance. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, what what field of law are you studying? I mean, so I'm in my undergraduate right now, which means I'm Pre-law. sort of exploring everything right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so no, nothing specialized just yet. Still exploring everything. But yeah, definitely uh, what you were saying. I think there was one um, lawyer who was giving some sort of talk once where they said the closest job to being a lawyer is probably being an actor. It's the same sort of performance things involved i guess the only difference as a lawyer is you have to improvise your own scripts quite a lot um in court so so uh in, just in general like how did you get involved in the show how did you get introduced to this opportunity oh, okay 
So it's quite a crazy story, the entire process from the casting call to the audition and then where I was finding out about the audition. So um, so I came across the casting call. This was like early sort of June. I gave my audition. And um, I think uh, th- there's an article that mentions where I um, where I found out I'd been accepted for the audition. So I gave the audition and uh, I was it was this crazy turn of events. It was about two weeks, which was... I'd sort of gotten kidnapped in China. And then I was on a plane to Korea where I had the craziest week of my life. Kidnapped and then in China? Yeah, that's a, that's a story for a different That's another time. story. That's another <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, and then completely unplanned, uh, I was on a plane to Abu Dhabi. And I'm, and during all of this, I think I'd forgotten that I'd given an audition. And so I'm on the plane back to the UK from Abu Dhabi. And for some reason, I had this urge to buy Wi-Fi, like the overpriced Wi-Fi you get on airlines, right? Where you pretty much purchase it and then it loads up one image and the, the wi-fi is gone but it was enough to load up one email so connected to the wi-fi and literally three minutes in i get an email um telling me that i got the part and the email said oh right are you able to come this evening for you know costume fitting and some some other stuff and i'm like i replied saying something along the lines of i'm twenty four thousand feet in the up up in the air right now <laughs> so i can't right now but is, is tomorrow okay and uh that was it that was the moment i remember uh sort of finding out about it all and then it went from there wow how did you feel in that moment did you did you order extra peanuts on the plane like what was your celebration <laughs> no no i didn't I, I think i was just it's just one of those where every hour then just feels like ages because you're just waiting to kind of find out what's happening next yeah uh, was there anything like uh, was there anything you did to prepare for the role other than studying law yourself already being kind of coincidentally <laughs> what you need to do so a lot of kind of information was, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of information. I think that's the case for everyone. And I was just trying to put together the pieces, figuring out, making a known, making my own idea about what this is all about. And the only sort of thing I knew, I guess, was I'm playing the role of someone's fiance or boyfriend. And, um, wasn't much preparation with that. I knew it was in Victoria near England and I'd just come out of doing my sort of um, history A levels, which is all about industrial revolution britain and everything related to that the laws i guess i sort of knew i was playing a british indian man in victoria near england and the knowledge i had about there were there were really prominent figures in um victoria near england who were from of an indian origin you had jinnah who went on to become the youngest barrister lawyer in history up until 2014 and um many other things so i think it was sort of the knowledge i had about that that i was using as context to get an idea of what the character would be around and the the inside context. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, again, I I don't know how much you're allowed to talk about like the content of the show, so I won't I won't put you on trial or anything. It's uh, uh, you have the right to remain silent. Sure. But I, <laughs> but I did want to mention the fact that you and your uh, fictional fiance are kind mm-hmm. of so far the lone bastions of South Asian representation in this Victorian setting. And uh, while we don't know much about Anil yet, uh, jury's still out on that guy. (laughs) Uh, We do know a little bit about your acting partner, Kiran Sonia Sawar's character, Harriet Coor. And I've talked a little bit about this on the podcast, but Harriet says something in episode four that really struck me. She says, how are we ever going to see justice if we're not a part of justice. And I feel like that really sums up 
to me why she wants to be a lawyer. Like, she wants to be a part of justice, and that's just not an opportunity that's afforded a brown woman, particularly、yeah. in that time period, even though the residue of it kind of still lingers today. And, uh, The, like, the beautiful revelation of it all for me was Harriet's power, which is to turn things into glass, right? So, like, we see her shattering those glass grapes, I think,、mm-hmm. as a metaphor for her longing to shatter the glass ceiling that socially, economically, politically so often limits women and people of color. So, I was wondering what it means for you as a,、um, Just like to, to represent a group of people who very often go unrepresented. Yeah, I think we can agree in terms of how much of an impact representation really has in the media and everything. And the one thing I know for sure, if I wasn't a part of this show, Harriet would without a doubt be my favorite character for the purpose of representation, for the message she puts across, for those small lines like, you know, how can we be a part of justice? I remember when I was watching episode four, I, I just messaged her straight away. I was like, I'm using that in my essay. Thank you. Like, that is just brilliant. Um, And I definitely think it's no coincidence with her power being related to turning things into glass and shattering them and it being a metaphor. It's, it's incredible that, that, that scene and everything related to it. Like, if you really think about it, the message、yeah. it's putting across. And,、um, it's inspiring what Harriet's doing in terms of her aspiring to be a lawyer and sort of being exceptional and having this huge amount of knowledge without actually having access to those institutions. It's like she has this unrelentless ambition and she's going to do what she can. Yeah, yeah, it, that really, that, that really resonates with me, man. Like when I see you and I see her in this show, I feel, I, I feel like I, I can identify with that. Like I, that's me. Like I, I really enjoy seeing you in the show as little as we've seen. Hopefully we'll see more. I did want to ask you one more little thing. One more.、Uh, yeah, his- I, I just have something more to add on to that. Sort of the, the thing I felt the most or what I like about Anil is, Again, like I said, I, I very much extensively studied、um, the British Empire, Victorian era England, the Indian,、um, at, you know, in, British,、uh, in, in India and everything. And then the prominent lawyers you had, everything from Gandhi to Jinnah, they, I never felt they were represented in sort of period dramas,、um, the same, the, the, the lawyers you had there, the people who were committed to access to justice. And I, I just feel like, or I like to think he's inspired by one of those figures, or at least Harriet is. Yeah, that, I mean, that segues perfectly into my next point, which is、mm-hmm. the, the, the Gandhi parallel, the historic parallel that I drew with the whole lawyer thing, which is that Mahatma Gandhi,、uh, he traveled to London to study law to become a lawyer around the same time as when this show takes place,、mm-hmm. uh, late 1800s. So, so we have Anil and Harriet either as Gandhi's classmates or Perhaps as allegorical manifestations of what he represents, which is liberation for a group of people from under the thumb of an oppressive power. So, like, for me, when I was watching, like, I, I drew that connection. And Gandhi's enemy was the status quo of the British Empire. And it's kind of looking like for the touched, essentially, their enemy is also the status quo of the British Empire. So, I was、mm-hmm. wondering, do you think. And feel, feel free to dance around this question. Like, don't, you don't have to give any spoilers or anything. Do you think that,、uh, you, would you like to see Anil and Harriet become like figures of liberation and rebellion? Or just in general, like, where would you like to see your character go? Oh, that's, you put it perfectly. That's exactly what I'd love to see. You know, sort of,、um, really interested to see where it goes. And I guess I can't speak about it too much.、Um, but I think related to, 
it being Gandhi. I'm not sure if it would exactly be Gandhi, but there were definitely many more prominent figures, uh, British Indian figures around the same time who were aspiring to be lawyers because it was only through the law and justice that they were able to achieve or part of what they wanted to achieve. So I think there's definitely some sort of, you know, it would be, it would be funny if um, it does turn out in that fictional universe and you happen to be classmates with Gandhi. That would be something quite <laughs> interesting. So how was it working with uh, Kiran, Sonia, Sawar and all the rest of the cast? What was that like? So, yeah, like you said, I kind of got thrown straight into the deep end. These are such talented people, Kiran as well. She's incredibly talented. And actually, the only person who uh, whose work I'd seen prior to coming on to The Nevers was Kiran. As in, I'd, I'd seen her in Black Mirror and many other things. So it was quite exciting to be actually paired up with the person who I was familiar with in that aspect. And I kind of was feeling a bit scared going into, into this huge set and huge budget series as in what if I don't know what to do but then everyone is so talented around you and they create this immersive atmosphere that you can kind of bounce off of each other and again Anil kind of has a small role in the first part so I think it really has been good that way for me to just settle in and get to grips with how, how everything's going okay I don't I don't want to pry but do you know if he has a bigger role in the second part you don't have to answer that <laughs> Cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so uh, you mentioned a little bit like uh, I, I can imagine it, it could be intimidating being on such a big set for your very first role. So mm-hmm. just being on that set, what was it like to be around such like massive machinery and these mechanisms like HBO and and what was it like to be uh, like to work with the director and all that all that kind of stuff what, what was that experience like so it was a huge crew huge huge like literally at some points i remember there being almost 100 or more and um there were some scenes because there's you know there's such amount of vfx and everything involved there was one uh i think this was related to mary brighton and and the amplifier the brightener uh, what penance would call it and i think that that scene took about three days to film and i remember getting up at three to four a.m going the van all the way to set every costume around six and then we'd be done at 9 p.m maybe and then restart the same thing the next day those were largely delayed by weather and everything but then there was huge machinery like a massive drone to get everything uh whenever primrose who's played by anna devlin would be involved there's a huge blue screen and everything related to that i think you might have seen in behind the scenes so i think I, I really, when I sort of think back to the entire experience, I do straight up see loads of huge cameras and everything moving around. And so I was always quite curious and I think distracted by, okay, what is that crane sort of thing doing? Uh, it, you know, where is it actually looking? There are so many cameras all at once. Um, and I really spent a lot of time afterwards and in my free time just looking at behind the scenes of other big productions related, like Marvel, etc. And they would really talk about what these things do. And I quite like how HBO's doing such an extensive um, insight into the behind the scenes because it really talks about the entire VFX procedure. And uh, it's fascinating, especially the sort of fight scene. You, you must have seen the behind the scenes of uh, the water and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it must be a very valuable insight to, to see that from behind the scenes yourself with your own eyes, I can imagine. No, that's it. Of course, I, I didn't see the Amalia um, scene, but I do remember that day the pond had these big planks underneath it and I'm, I was just really curious and a lot of things have only started to make sense after obviously watching the show so that's the thing about all these uh, VFX and blue screens is everything seems a bit confusing while you're in it but then when it all comes together and you finally see it it's incredible 
So, so do they kind of just like make you aware of the details around your character and you don't really know the story? So when you watch the show, are you watching it as a, as a new, like a fresh viewer, like seeing what happens? Or did you read the scripts and you kind of knew what happened? I think it's one of those things where even after watching episode one or two, a lot of people will still be quite intrigued and not be able to figure out what's actually going on. So it's even more difficult when you're filming, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can kind of you you can kind of guess what's happening. I think the f- the most incredible moment I remember was the end of episode three, when all of us, all, the orphans, are going back to the orphanage, and um, Bonfire Annie's on the other side. She's joined and brought other people along, and so it's so many people were walk- walking on set. And what they used to do for Rochelle, who plays Bonfire, she'd have these little discs in her hands which were glowing with light. And then next to her, there was this person who had a huge kind of flame. And so those, that flame, you, you, I, w- I was just looking at the flame like, what is going on? And, and that just brought this sort of excitement. And, um, I think even though maybe I didn't know exactly what was going on, the way they filmed it and how they had everything set up really ends up you being able to portray the same excitement that comes across naturally. That's so cool that it's a real flame. I thought it was just like some post CGI. Oh, there was a, there was a huge flame. I think you could, if you've, it's probably down to the small intricacies of being able to see the flame in people's eyes, right? Yeah. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> okay. Uh, switching gears a little bit. So in an interview with the Guardian that you did in 2019, uh, it mentioned that you delivered, uh, talks at various international conferences focusing on the UN Sustainable Development Agenda across New York City, Egypt, and South Korea. So uh, is that something important to you? And how did you get involved? Yeah, so oh, it's definitely something that's important to me and took up a lot of my time during my final year of A-levels, which I guess in the, the equivalent in the US would be AP. And so for that final year, I decided to actually study myself away from school, uh, just do everything in my own time. And um, that's also kind of the reason why I was traveling around the world so much it was a uh, for example if i was studying history i'd be on a train um going through serbia while reading about the conflicts of yugoslavia it was just this enough massive experience and i loved it so much and what this meant was it didn't necessarily give me more time but it gave me control over my time and um i always found myself drawn towards doing social impact related work when i was young i'd always volunteered with different charities and received an award when i was 17 i believe uh from a member of the royal family at one of their palaces after we'd won a competition uh, which involved pitching an idea related to social impact projects. And then I came across the Youth Assembly at the United Nations, which is what the article probably mentions. And that's an annual assembly that takes place at the UN. It's the same platform where Malala Yousafzai gave her speech in 2015 about the importance of education. And so this week is basically, these weeks are filled with conferences and discussions between official UN representatives, the private sector, NGOs, loads of different organizations. They've got a key focus on the 2030 agenda for sustainable development, which is this sort of blueprint of different collective goals each um, UN member state committed to achieving by 2030. And so these range from tackling economic equality to increasing access to justice. And so these would be just these intense weeks of meeting loads of different ambitious young people across the world working together. We'd be strategizing on how we can develop new social impact projects. And these would be, it would be so inspiring because we're literally there learning, working, sitting in the same seats as those of the world leaders, having lunch in those same buildings. And that's why I remember it all being such a magnificent experience was 
you know, in South Korea as well would be the National Assembly Hall. And uh, yeah, I think what the article's talking about is those different range of events I was involved in throughout the year. And it taught me so much about different things. It made a lot of friends. It, it, it meant I was able to work on incredible projects around the world, which I still do from time to time. Yeah, I I really love the the priority that I guess our generation has right now on social development and really really focusing on how to make this world a better place. So I'm a total layman. Uh, when you talk about sustainable development, was there? You mentioned economic inequality and and I'm sure like climate and things like that fall into yeah. that category. But like, what specifically were you focusing on? Okay, so my specific focus was on human... So the 17 Sustainable Development Goals cover everything from, like I said, economic equality, inequality, including climate change. I sort of was focusing on access to justice-related issues and then also fostering communication between NGOs. So the sort of things I was involved in was just meeting loads of people from across the world and putting them in touch with each other and a lot of idea generation. And then when I came back to the UK, worked for a human rights NGO. And, and so my sort of precise focus and work was related to that awesome yeah that's 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 some valuable work uh i we uh, let me tell you as someone who is a citizen of this globe we appreciate people like you and i hope there's more people like you uh yeah no these these opportunities are incredible because it's when young people come together and they become friends first and foremost and then since then it just becomes through their friendship they'll be driven towards working on something and really thinking about all the reactions they do and so, yeah, definitely agree with you. Absolutely, yeah, because we're accountable for the world that we live in. And ultimately, we're responsible for everything that happens, even if we're not the ones who started this chain of events that kind of dominoed into the crises that we see flaring up. So, I, I also wanted to mention, in April of last year, you launched the Glass House podcast with your friend Habib. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and what made you decide to start one? Yeah, sure. So... It was a bar on my university campus called Glasshouse, where every Thursday, me and a couple of friends would go and we'd sit around for, I'm talking at least four hours, talking about the most interesting stuff. And this would be every single week. And we think, you know what, should, should do this as a podcast. Because to me, the idea of a podcast is so incredible. It's, I feel like the easiest form of content creation, but also the most enriching. It's the sole idea of capturing conversations and then publishing them and then having discussions off of that, that is just incredible. And so when lockdown first began and everyone's bored out their minds and no one knows what to do, I figured this is the perfect time to now be able to start a podcast. I ended up actually starting the podcast with a different friend to the ones I used to speak to. We'd just get on phone conversations and um, from then just bring on people. And it, it wouldn't be any particular topic either. We don't really want to structure it. Sometimes it would be about um, current affairs. Sometimes it would just be crazy theories about dystopian societies or um sometimes about legal things or technology uh we did one i did one quite recently with kieran who plays harriet we oh, just yeah? uh yeah it was a completely casual chat we didn't really talk much about the nevers but just oh she's got some insane stories i <laughs> she's she's a great liar too i'll tell you that <laughs> i can't wait to listen yeah yeah we did the two truths one lie and um she just absolutely convinced us that she'd um yeah i'd, I'd recommend listening to it there's there's some weird <laughs> stories in there yeah, I'm going to listen. Yeah, well, she's an actor, so I guess that's kind of an inherent <laughs> skill. 
<laughs> You're totally right, though. By the way, like a, a podcast these days, it re- they really democrat democratize content creation, and everybody with a valuable insight or something to contribute can now have a platform to do that, and that's awesome. I'm totally going to check out your podcast. And there's so many different platforms as well, just to be able for you to express your uh, thoughts and opinions. I write occasionally on Medium.com as well. Uh, just different random pieces about ideas I might have or questions really it's just questions that come to mind and I'll, I'll write about it yeah so uh, I kind of just scrolling through your Instagram page a little you seem to travel a lot and your interview with the Guardian said that you traveled to over 30 countries <laughs> at the time the article was written and you've since visited 24 more so is it fair to say that traveling and culture is a passion of yours I think so, evidently. I know definitely I was only until 16 years old or 17 where I'd first actually proper traveled in the sense that I came across this, there was this initiative from the European Union where they were giving out free tickets to 18 year olds. It's called Discover EU. And basically it's when you turn 18, you can win a free ticket, a train ticket to go around Europe. And so that was the first time I'd actually, I was like, okay, cool, a free ticket. I'm just going to go explore. And then... Yeah, since since then I've I've never really stopped until of course the pandemic happened, and it was just the. I think what I love the most about travel is when it's difficult, when it's challenging, when stuff goes wrong because you're figuring out how to navigate different places and uh, where you don't speak the language, where you've never met the people, but then actually get to know them and then see the world through a whole different lens. All that cliche travel stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I also found the idea of cheap travel quite fun, as in how do I get from one place to another quite. Cheap. The, the cheapest ticket I've ever got was £2.50 to Italy. Nice. Literally, yeah, just £2.50 going, £2.60 back, and then just figuring out ways to do cheap travel, find quite fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I concur completely with you. I haven't got the chance to visit like 100 countries like you have, but <laughs> I will say like visiting another place is the closest you can ever get to visiting another world altogether and Mm -hmm. yeah like for me when i was in college and i was doing internships i made a conscious decision to kind of choose international organizations and things to do so i i got to go to sri lanka i got to go to egypt with the who and all that sort of stuff and it was the most fascinating thing because it really did help me understand experientially that people are just people and we're not so different you and I and like we're all kind of uh, interconnected there's not these barriers between us because of language or culture and all these sort of things when you really get to know people like you said mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's really f- uh, interesting what what's like your favorite what's a favorite country you visited what was your favorite uh, experience abroad Ooh. the thing is I always try and rationalize this question but the gut feeling always comes back to South Korea South Korea yeah, I think it's the country I least expected, but it was the most different. I think it's how technologically advanced they are that really just fascinates me. They, there's, there's just this feeling of, um, yeah, it's just a feeling of fascination when you're there. And also they've got this one brand of banana milk that I've never been able to find anywhere else in the world. And I absolutely love it. They have these little kind of pots where you can get in any shop there and it's the best tasting drink in the world. Did you say banana milk? Banana milk. Yeah. Banana milk. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's on my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Korea and drink some banana milk. No, yeah, it's a, it's a very specific brand. Everyone's drinking it all, all the time over there. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've I've only been to the Seoul airport, and and uh, I'll echo what you said. Yeah, it's very technologically advanced. Yeah, it's like when I've reached Seoul airport, 
I just remember there's this robot that just comes up to me and it, it's like you can ask it to take you wherever you want. I've never seen that in my life before. Only, only maybe in movies. And you know, you made a good point actually before about the idea of travel enabling you to visit a different world. And I think that's probably something that got me interested in pursuing acting was it's the other way of being able to experience a different world, right? Uh, like with the Nevers just being on set seeing myself in Victorian or England in this costume and everything, it does feel like I'm in a different world. Yeah. Yeah. You are literally in a different world. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, just kind of like, wh what are, what are just in general, you don't have to be too specific. What are your future aspirations? Where, where do you want to go in the next five years or so? Five, 10 years. I think it's going to be a path of, pursuing every great opportunity that comes my way related to acting to staying committed on my degree and study and if there's anything the last two or three years have taught me is just open your door to as many opportunities as possible and there's um i think i, I do want to experience a bit of everything more than a lot of one thing yeah and that's my path going forward and i think my my, my degree path and really does allow me to explore it that way I think that's awesome because I think too often, at least in my experience, we try to be good at things and to be good at something, you almost have to be unilateral and mm -hmm. do just one thing and focus on one thing and excel at that one thing. And to live an interesting life is not necessarily to do things to be good at them. You know, it's just to do things to live an interesting life. And it seems like you're doing that in spades. You're really doing all these diverse, interesting things and, um, you know, uh, more power to you. I think that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I guess it's just personal preference. Uh, a lot of people will be content with being an absolute specialist in one thing, which is admirable. I mean, I think it's the most admirable thing possible, people being able to dedicate their life to one thing. My little brother, for example, it's, uh, if you look at my CV, it's loads of different things and he's got one thing, 12 years, magician, nothing else. And just uh i think there's no right way of doing it it's just what you feel like doing so and for me it's definitely the latter of experiencing many things very true yeah we like to end our interviews with this question what superpower or unique ability would you like to possess if you were one of the touched there's there's no there's no touched person with the power of invisibility right or is there not not yet oh there could be oh we don't know yeah Mm, but invisibility yeah. would definitely be, I think it's the most underrated superpower out there. Really? Yeah. Invisibility. Kind of you like uh, being able to isolate socially or being able to... to well, what would be the impetus behind invisibility? Well, you can just sneak into places and find out anything you want. You can just, Rob banks. Yeah, you're, you're being chased, just become invisible. You, yeah, robbing a bank is probably the first one. Uh, I think it has... It's, it is the most you can do. Maybe time, time you know, Shaping time is quite powerful as well. What would be what would be your superpower if you could choose one? What would be my superpower? Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, when I think about it, like a, maybe like a super speed kind of thing because time time is all we have, and there's such little of it. It feels like so to be able to do a whole lot of things very quickly would be nice, mm. and also maybe time is time is inextricably linked with speed. So if you control speed, you might be able to harness time a little bit. Oh, so that's two powers in one, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's just my theory. Two in one, <laughs> a shampoo and a soap in one. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rethink mine then. <laughs>
you have any closing thoughts? you have anything you'd like to mention or plug or anything? No, not at all. I watched, how have you felt about the, watching the entire series so far? Who's been your favorite character? Oh my god. I will say, first of all, I love, I love Harriet and I love you. <laughs> um, my, I have had the most amazing time watching this show and dissecting the show and having a platform to discuss the show with other people who have such interesting ideas that I never would have thought of if I hadn't had the opportunity to discuss with them because it, it's like a show that has a lot of depth to it. It has a lot of uh, material, substance to dig through. So I've had the most amazing time. And my favorite character has to be Penance. I love Penance. Penance. Yeah. yeah. She's so honest and open and transparent. I just love her personality. I, yeah. Cool. I, I, she, she would be my favorite character. I think Penance is definitely quite a distinct character. She's got, a, you know, her catchphrases and everything. More than, more than any character, she's, she's definitely got her catchphrases. Yeah. 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 Who's your favorite character? Outside of yourself, of course. <laughs> if I don't say Harriet, she's probably going to turn a pencil <laughs> into glass and stab me in the eye. Um, I quite like Detective Fra- Detec- Frank Mundy. Detective Mundy. Yeah, he's yeah. a good choice. Yeah, I, I think agree I'm, I'm going to say Mundy, yeah. Well, I guess that concludes kind of our discussion. I, I want to thank you so much for joining us and giving your time. Uh, I know uh, time with a lawyer is very expensive, <laughs> no, not yet. Not at all. I'm still, still quite free. Awesome. Well, it's been great chatting with you and best of luck for your law exams coming up. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been good talking to you as well. Hopefully we can do this again and I uh, can't wait to see what happens to you in the second part of the show. I'm excited. All right. Thank you listeners for tuning into the Nevers podcast and listening to uh, Zayn Hussein and uh, have a good, uh, have a good day. Thank you very much. This episode of the Nevers Podcast was written, researched, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Studios.